What's up? What's up? Chad Belding coming back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Thank you all so much for the ratings, the reviews, the subscriptions. Please keep telling your family and friends. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends out of Sacramento, Sacktown, capital of California, A. Fins and Feathers Guide Service, owned by our good friends, Papa and the one and only Chad Money Mendez from WEC, from UFC, from the Aldo fight, from the day he whipped Conor McGregor's ass on 10 days notice. He did end up losing the fight, but it could, could have very easily been called in that first round. And Conor, I think, pretty much felt really lucky that Chad Money Mendez was not in the top shape of his life during that fight. But Fins and Feathers, everything you want in an outfit or a guide service, look for their awesome hunt combo packages available to go fish with Dan Henderson, to go fish with Clay the Carpenter Guida, to go fish with athletes and celebrities and musicians, and then enjoy a UFC after party or a concert. The combos are awesome. Learn more about it at finsandfeathers.com, finsandfeathersguideservice.com, We'll get the exact website coming up, but you can find them at Instagram, also at Fins and Feathers. And Chad Money Mendez, Michael Papa, they're doing a great job with it. Chad Money Mendez, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. It's, it's fun to be back. Thanks for all the shout outs, too. Holy shit. Yeah, you nailed man. It. Well, it's, all, it's everywhere. Fins and Feathers, you see my hat? I know. I love that. I'm, I'm rocking the same one, just a light match. And I got this Chad Mendez shadow box being built. And I was texting you last week about those speckle belly hunt pictures and I couldn't find yeah. them. I ended up finding them, but something happened when I got this new iPhone and, and, and then, you know, they do the download, the transfer from the cloud, they got lost. Yeah. So then we got, went on the server and I found them. And, um, so I got this shadow box being made with your gloves, your UFC gloves signed by you and some of our hunt pictures. Yeah. And then some of the training pictures of, uh, of when you broke my ribs that day, which was bullshit. <laughs> Yeah. Does, that that was not that <laughs> it was my fault because joey rodriguez is like bro i'm like what bro he goes bro you shouldn't do this bro and i go why he goes because you'll shit blood for a week and i go no i won't and he goes yeah you will and i and i did i mean it hurts so bad what oh, that was good. what what do you think and i'm asking you this because i'm going somewhere with this but just bear with me for a minute did you know before you started your MMA career? Did you know coming out of your collegiate wrestling career or did you know even back in your in your peewee days of wrestling in your high school wrestling days, did you know that you had those hands? Could you always throw a punch like that? Because everything that I've heard from Dan Henderson to Uriah Faber to other fighters and trainers is that for your size and the weight divisions that you fought in, that that was not, that was not normal. Your hand speed, it, the speed could have been normal, but the power of your jabs and your crosses and your overhands were on a different level. Did you always have that, those hands? I mean, I didn't know that until, I mean, I don't know if I can say this on air or not, but I got in a lot of fights in college and I knocked a lot of guys out <laughs> with one punch. And I, before that, I mean, growing up as a kid, as a wrestler, like getting in fights, it was always with kids that were bigger than me trying to pick on me. And so I would just, you know, take them down and beat the crap out of them or choke them. But college is where I kind of figured out that I had the knockout power. Um, and, you know, I, other than just going out there and throwing haymakers and putting someone to sleep, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But um, Well, why you know, would you fight in college? You were, you're, 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 help, you're not very tall, but you're tougher and shit. And you're on the college wrestling team. Are you getting picked on by football players or big bouncers in bars because of your size? And then you had to just be like, look, bro, chill. Yeah, I think it was a size. A lot of the times it was a size thing. I mean, there were multiple times I had different frat guys, you know, obviously getting the, the frat attitude and, 
you know, because I'm a small guy. I mean, in college, I, I probably walked around 140, 145. Which is you know? little. That's little, dude. Yeah. And so guys would be like, you know, multiple times I heard this. What what the are you going to do? <laughs> that was the last thing that they heard. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was, you know, I'm not always trying to go out and pick a fight. There might have been a few times where I had too much to drink and I probably wasn't the nicest dude ever, but... Most of the time, I was just trying to have fun with my buddies, and people would be doing stupid stuff. But tell me uh, this yeah. real quick: you heard me refer to this Connor fight, which you like. You got punt. He, you laid him out, and you got him down, and you dropped ferocious ground and pound and elbows on him. You were on a boat drinking a beer when you got the call from Dana White or the person, the matchmaker in the UFC at that time. Um, very short training camp. Was it in Brazil? No, it was uh, Vegas? Vegas. It was in Vegas. Yeah. You come out and you get winded after the first round. Your defense wasn't there in the second round. He ends up getting you. Connor's a tough son of a bitch. Connor's got great hands. Connor is a great mixed martial artist. He is at the top of his game right now. That last fight against Cowboy, I don't know if you can really judge that. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But you whipped his ass to the point of your wrestling was superb. Your hands were superb. Could you, if with a full training camp, is that fight a totally different story? hundred percent. I mean, you saw what, what Khabib did to him. I mean, anybody that's strong that has wrestling ability is going to beat that guy. You know, I, the shitty thing is like, so I took that fight on 10 days notice, got the call. I was out salmon fishing. Uh, I had a Corona and actually when, when I got the call, um, and obviously I'm not in shape, not ready to go, but I'm not going to turn this fight down. Um, and so Connor's a big guy. We have, uh, a guy, Mike Malott on our team, who's really tall, can fight Southpaw. And basically I go from no training at all, you know, out fishing, doing my fins and feather stuff to straight into sparring, hard sparring with a guy that's way bigger. So my first sparring session, I go from no training at all, you know, on a boat, doing my fins and feather stuff, fishing to right into sparring, sparring a guy that's a lot bigger than me and a Southpaw. So my first sparring session, I throw a leg, um, a leg kick. He checks it. Well, Southpaw, I'm now kicking a knee and break the top of my foot. So the first, I don't know, it was probably five days of that 10 day camp. I couldn't even walk. Like if you watch all the, um, the videos leading up to it, that the UFC film, like the day in the life and all that stuff, I was doing all swimming workouts and that's because I couldn't, I couldn't stand on my foot. So I'm, I got to cut 22 pounds in 10 days. I can't run. I can't grapple. I can't spar. I can't do anything. I'm basically trying to swim my workouts, try to get as much shape as I can. Um, and finally, after it was like five, four or five days, I could finally start um, standing and carrying my weight on my foot. And I'm basically just taking ibuprofen and just toughing it out to try to get any type of training that I could. Um, felt like crap cutting that much weight that fast. Um, but went out there and did it, you know, that's, that's a fight that you just can't turn down. There's a chance that I go out there and one overhand, right. And I put him to sleep, you know, and I knew with Connor watching Connor fight, I'd be able to hit him with those rights, getting in on the inside, closing the distance and hitting him. And I did a bunch in that fight. Um, the guy has a freaking chin though. I mean, a, he's really big, you know? And so he's a 55 or bigger, how the hell the guy made 45s and could compete you know, multiple rounds at that high of a pace and level was beyond me. But, um, man, I hit the guy hard, took him down, out wrestled him, 
you know, looking back on the fight now, like he was about to break. I think if I could have held out for maybe one more round, he probably would have broke. Um, but I just didn't have the gas tank, man. I just didn't have it in me. So well, that's natural. Uh, I mean, you know, it's one thing to you're in great shape right now. You look at you, you're in shape, but you're not in fighting shape right now. A fighting camp is a completely different level of shape. I, I could go and pick up a baseball bat right now and go out and have an at bat, but to take a full week of BP, my arms would feel like they're falling. There's a difference in baseball shape that it's all relative. So that you going in, I had no idea that the other part of this puzzle was a broken foot no i don't i don't remember ever hearing that in the in the in the commentary or anything so i don't know if you kept it a secret or or whatever but i don't know it's it's he this last fight he looked gigantic his quads look gigantic the what he did to Cerrone I don't know if Cowboy really you know talking to Hendo and you're good friends with Hendo he says Cowboy really didn't even show up to fight I felt the same with his interviews going into it even the day of the weigh-in he was like he was like uh just happy to be here kind of attitude where you go in there on a 10-day deal and that outcome of that fight would have changed historically that would have changed the in your career it would have changed the entire route it would have changed the entire route of the ufc because connor connor would have been broken probably like diaz ended up doing him a little bit but then diaz they the thing that, that hurt that part of the diaz uh connor deal in my opinion was that diaz was so much bigger right so they're saying well you come down here no you come up here let's meet in the middle kind of deal but what what you did to him it was so quick and it was so like it was so evident is maybe not quick's the word but evident and i just think that that would have changed the whole course of your and and, and what you did is you went in there and you got out with your brains and you said you know what i'm done i'm walking away from fighting and it pisses me off to this day that somebody like you with your talent did that because the fans deserve to see more of your fights because they were so awesome but I can't but help but respect or, you know, I have no choice but to respect your decision, right? But if that fight goes different and you have a whole training camp and you're now the you're the man, I, I just don't see a lot of guys that size beating you with the hands and which is the universal badassery component that you have to have of wrestling. You're a world-class wrestler with freaking boxing style hands with knockout power. You can't be better. I mean, jiu-jitsu maybe, but guys that get you on the ground are probably not going to tie you up jiu-jitsu-wise because of your strength and your wrestling background. They're not going to get you in a position to choke you out or arm bar you. That might be a little bit premature to say because I'm sure there are some badass technicians. I just see it like, man, that would have changed the entire route of your retirement, your existence, and your stance in mixed martial arts. It would have been a completely different ballgame. Oh, I agree, man. I think about that all the time. Like, and, and in all honesty, I think that was probably a key strategy for the UFC for Dan and Lorenzo at that time. They knew the only way Connor was going to beat me, who, which, you know, was right there. I was right at the top. I think I was ranked number one and two. Oh shit. Don't even say this. I already know what you're saying right now. Are you serious right now with what you're about to say? They knew that if they got you on a shortened fight camp, that that's the only way that Connor can beat you. Holy shit. I never even thought about that. Yeah. And what's crazy is, you know, I think it was like a few weeks, a few weeks before that we re-signed my contract and I'm negotiating a certain price. And they're like, sorry, we can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Dan and Lorenzo get up. And they walk 
away and they start powwowing together and they come back and sit down and they say, okay, how about this? They throw a price down, which was pretty close to what I wanted. And if you fight Conor McGregor for a title fight, we'll give you X amount of money. Oh shit. Like out of nowhere. So this wasn't a title fight. It was. Yeah. They made it an interim title fight. But it's like, why all of a sudden would you guys throw that in there unless this is already something that's pre-planned? Yeah, why would they say that in that meeting? I don't know. Because it was a number that they knew I couldn't, I would never turn down. And so I'm me and my managers are looking at each other like, well, where is this coming from? But okay, yeah, shit, let's sign it. That sounds good, you know? But it just and then the way that everything played out, looking back on it now. Like, why would they just come out of that from like out of nowhere, come up with that, you know? And then all of a sudden, 10 days before, Hey, Mendez, we need you all those out, (laughs) you know? So do you, was there a chip on your shoulder after that meeting, or at least after that fight that you already kind of knew was your stance with the management and the ownership already at a level to where you felt slighted and you weren't really high on what was going on? Or were you still a, a company guy? No, I mean, I haven't been a company guy before that for a while. I had, I mean, I think I stopped being a company guy when I wasn't Dana's type of fighter. Like the way that I fought was boring to him. And when he's going in interviews after my fight saying I'm a boring fighter and stuff, it's like, screw you, dude. Like, A, I'm one of your fighters. It doesn't matter if any of your fighters are doing anything that's boring. Like your job as a promoter should be building these guys up because there's so many just you know fans that just follow and think whatever dana says so if dana says this guy's you know even though they might think oh this guy's a boring fighter but dana you know oh well it's technical i like the way he fights blah 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 then those people would be like oh you're right actually that is kind of cool yeah i actually like that guy you know right so why but you weren't you weren't as bo- you weren't ronda rousey you weren't conor mcgregor no. you weren't going to be the, because in the beginning i was wrestling you know i would take guys down ground and pound you know grind them out and I'd, and I'd win. I'd win every single time. And he hated that because it wasn't a go out there and and try to kill myself for him type fighter, you know? That's crazy because G- back in the day, G- all Matt Hughes and GSP did was take people down. GSP was way – I'm not going to say he was boring, but here's – Floyd Mayweather Jr. has been has been coined like people don't like watching him fight because there's never a knockout. He's so defense. He's the best defensive boxer of all time. Dana White loves him like he's always about Mayweather. Right. Yeah. So I don't uh, know what he means by that kind of shit. Well, that's because he's a big draw. He's a big moneymaker. And I'm not, obviously not for Dana, but that's the difference. A, I was a big, like coming up in the sport. You know, I didn't really have a big name yet. It's not like I was moving the needle a ton. and I was beating everybody, you know, everyone they put me in there with, I was beating, but I wasn't going out there and like submitting someone in the first round or knocking them out in the first round. I was making it hell for them, grinding them out, putting them through hell, you know? And it just, it wasn't a, a big draw. Like, so I don't know. It just, when, when all that was happening is when I was like, you know what, screw this. I'm in this for me. I don't give a shit about the UFC I'm basically going to go in there try to make as much money as I can and get the hell out. And that's what I did. And are so, there any regrets getting out at all yet? Nothing? No, no, no regrets at all, man. Like think about this. So I started wrestling when I was five years old. I wrestled every single year through college, all the way up through college, after college, the day after college, through all my shit in that U-Haul, moved up to SAC and immediately jumped right into pro fighting, trained for three months, had my first pro fight, 
and didn't look back. Never took a year off from five years old till I retired other than that stupid band. But even then I was still training every day, you know, but so I've been, I think I was competing was that 29 years. I was doing something com- competition, wise training, competing. That was my life for 29 years. Think about someone that has a job for 29 years. Most people fucking retire after that. Right. Like that's a long putting your heart and soul into something. So for me, I'm, I'm to that point, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I feel content. Let's put it that way. Like I've, I've pro- proven so much to myself over that 29 year period. I've gone in there. I've tested my heart. I've tested my soul and, you know, I might not have reached every single goal that I ever set, but I reached a shit ton of my goals throughout my career, you know? In high school, I used to have a goal list that I would open my closet and see on my, on the closet door every single day. Like I had a list both long-term through the year and daily. And I'd go in there and I'd mark my dailies off, scratch them off. That was met, scratch them off. That was met. And then yearly, you know, win pack 10 or, you know, whatever it would be, obviously that's college, but uh, high school, whatever, win um, um, regionals, win, whatever, scratch that off, scratch that off. I reached a ton of that stuff, you know, moving into college, same thing, you know, I was a multi-pack time, multi-time pack 10 champ. Like that was always a big goal just to become a pack 10 champ for me, you know, become an all American that first year as all American, then to become a national champ, obviously came very close, but ended up, you know, just a, a match short, but dude, I don't know. And then coming over into the fight game, there were so many things that I achieved. Um, yeah, I just feel content, man. There's definitely no regrets. Um, if there's no regrets, well, that, is, is there anything that could get you back money wise? Would a huge money payoff that said, we want you, we, you got five months training camp and this is the fight and you're fighting McGregor, big money payoff, the return of money Mendez, a one fight contract, nothing else. They can't say, well, you got to do three more after that. Would you get in shape for one more fight for a payday? I probably would. I probably would. And it's not because I don't, it's because I, not because I need the money, but a, that I think out of any fight that I could get back, it would be that one on a full camp. I mean, a, the payday would be nice if it's big enough, more importantly, just getting in there and proving to myself and proving to everybody else, especially all the little Connor fans that just always have something stupid to say that dude you're i can beat conor mcgregor like the guy's good the guy's good at what he does but it's two different levels man like me and shape you guys saw when i would take that guy down that like if i would have fought that guy even three or four years before that that would have been an easy fight for me man like taking a guy down and a guy that gives up on his back those were the easiest ground out fights ever. Like the hardest part is a don't get hit on the feet, which, you know, not that hard because I can blast it and take him down. The guy's wrestling was garbage and off his back. He doesn't have submissions. Like he's going to throw up a triangle or something. So basically he would just sit there and hold on. So elbow, 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 take, catch my breath, punch. You know what I mean? And the round's over. Then I'm going to go back out and do the exact same thing the next round. Like that was an easy fight. I fought a lot of guys that, you know, they were knockout artists on the feet, you know, great jits guys. But as soon as I come down and they're comfortable being on their back, they just don't want to get up. It's an easy fight. Grind them out. I agree. I I agree. That's why I asked it. That's why I asked the question because I would pay big money to watch it. I'd be there live. I'd be there and watch it. But I just, 
I would do anything to see Manny, Money Mendez McGregor with a full training camp. And it's easy for to say, oh, you guys are just hypothetically. Maybe we are. But that is a big payday just based on pure talent. That is what pisses me off about your career or the way that you went out more than anything is because you're in your prime, you're in your you're 30 years old and you're freaking a badass that can do to beat anybody in the weight division and probably one below that and maybe one up and you're done. And it's mainly not because you're hurt, not because you're scared to get hurt. It's because of you're ready to get on with your career, make money because there's just nothing left there for you. The passion's gone, which the passion shouldn't have been sucked out of you. And it would have all changed with, with, with a little bit more of a training camp. In my opinion, I just always think that every time I see your text come up, I'm always thinking like, fuck, what if, what if man, what if that would have been? Cause I watched that first round and I'm like, dude, this is over. This is over now. It's done. It's it's done right now. It's just like shit. But I don't know. Thinking of college wrestling, though, how bummed out would you be if you were a college senior this year going into the NCAAs and have what just happened? What What is the mentality of a wrestler at your caliber, Chad Mendez, of winning the Pac-10s, going into the NCAAs? You're obviously, focus is number one. Nothing else matters. And when it's taken away from these kids, like let's take the the Hodge Trophy winner this year, right? Spencer Lee from Iowa. He's going in for another national championship. He just gets awarded the wrestler, the college wrestler of the year, and it gets taken away. The Olympics get taken away. Snyder and Burroughs and and all of these guys are like in Dake and all of them are like, I don't know if you follow college wrestling anymore. I don't know if I'm throwing around names that you might not have heard uh, of. But how do how do you feel if you're these guys? Man, I mean, that sucks. My my college coach that happened to him like he got you know he made the olympic team and that was the year that they boycotted it so he didn't get to go you know and i remember him still like to this day i remember through college talking to him about it and just felt like like there was just so much left inside of him that he wanted to compete and he just couldn't you know like he wanted to compete in the olympics that was like a lifelong goal he made the team and then just couldn't go so i mean i can't even imagine you know it sucks but it's out of everybody's hands and it's just one of those things. I don't know what would be worse. Like basically having something like me, like what happened with me, like where you're like super close, you know, a few points away from being a national champ and just coming up short or not even being able to compete. Like the, what if, you know, I don't know, but both suck. That would suck. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are are you a, at this stage in your life with, and we're going to get into your businesses, but in our business that we're getting ready to kick off and in, in, in what you're doing content wise and, and in the hunting and fishing and outdoor industry, are you a fight fan still, even though that you have a bad taste in your mouth over how it went down? Are you still a connoisseur of a good fight to where you'll get a pay-per-view or I, I, I remember our conversation about Uriah's comeback. He goes in there, whips that dude's ass. You were worried about it. He came back in his second fight and things didn't go his way. Is he done now? Or are you still a connoisseur of the, of, of what's going on? Are you still in the know of what's going on in MMA? Yeah. I mean, I've backed off a bit, but I still pay attention. Like big fights, like I'll, I'll go and watch somewhere. I don't have TV. Uh, so I don't get the pay-per-views of my house, but if somebody's, you know, if there's a big fight or a teammate that's fighting, we go over to a buddy's house or something and watch it. But, um, yeah, I pay attention, but I have backed off a bit. Um, I just got so many other things going on. Um, being a dad now too, throwing that in there. And it's, it's tough. Like even the wrestling world, like after that jumping into the fight world, I backed off a bit, but 
I mean, I'm still interested in both, you know, it's, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. So, um, the wrestling, the fighting, all that still interests me, but, um, yeah, man, I, I don't know about Faber either. I, I haven't talked to him about that much lately. Um, I haven't heard anything from him about him wanting to come back, but I don't know, man, hopefully, you know, hopefully he feels content like I do. And is just ready to move on. It's a brutal sport, dude. Oh God. And it, it, it's a very brutal sport. It's, it's not like, you know, coming back for football. I mean, I guess football is pretty damn brutal too, but, um, you know, another sport where you're, you're you getting know, you punched in the face, you're getting paid to yeah, be punched in exactly. the face. Like, yeah. Like you could be killed basically, you know, if, if things don't go right, you so, don't have any TV at all. Like you don't watch Netflix at all. Yeah. We have Netflix. Okay. I just have, have, have you watched, have you watched the new Ronda Rousey documentary through her dad's eyes on there? It's not, it mm-hmm. might not be new, but they just got to Netflix. No, what's it, what's it called? It's called Ro- the Ronda Rousey story through her dad's eyes. And you know, her dad passed away early in her life, but this, this producer gets a hold of her story and it follows her from, from judo through her amateur MMA days to strike force to, to UFC, but it, it's really behind the scenes in the gym. And one of the things her mom says, her mom was a world champion ju- ju- judo is it jujitsu? What do you say? Judo? What no, judo. is it? A judo, judo. technician? Yeah. Okay. So her mom was a world champion judo technician and her mom says, we didn't think she would do it because nobody wants to get paid to be punched in the face. And then when she started her MMA career, they're like, she's, we're not going to let her do this for very much longer. She's going to get in there and whip everybody's ass. And then she's going to get out because nobody but wants <laughs> to make a living being punched in the face. And then, yeah. so what the, the way that I always looked at Rhonda was, okay. Dana always said no women in the UFC. It's not going to happen. He said that on ESPN. He was saying that coming out of a, of a, of a restaurant on TMZ, Rhonda comes up, he comes in, she becomes his girl, right? That she's their promoter. Well, I always looked at it like, well, dude, anybody's going to become credible. If Dana, like what you said, if Dana says something, it, it becomes, it becomes the gospel, right? So I always was like, dude, there's way badder ass women out there. And it, they proved to be Holly Holm knocked her out. And then the, the girl from Brazil that, that's the champion now did it. But here's the thing that I learned in this documentary is that the fight game is so precise. The fight game is so, so, um, uh, driven by, uh, what, what is the word I want to look for? Not leg. It's, it's kind of the legacy of a fighter is important, right? So, when you look at Ron, when you look at Ronda Rousey's career from the outside, you're just like, yeah, she came in, she got real famous, and then she sold out and went to the WWE. I have been educated on this, dude. You don't want to stay in there and keep getting your ass kicked. She opened the door. Her and Gina Carano opened the door for so many women fighters to come in and make a living in this. And on top of that, when you go behind the scenes with her, as if we went behind the scenes at a Money Mendez camp or your Faber or Hendo camp. Dude, she is a badass, man. Her hands and her skills of judo and then her boxing, as good as she got on her hands and with her hands. I mean, I think her first nine wins were first round by armbar or something like that, amateur and professional. But then it shows her boxing and it shows on top of all of that, her work ethic of what her coaches, they loved her. She was like their pride and joy, like their little girl. Who, she didn't have a dad. So I really gained like this new respect that that people deserve to know that about somebody like you or Uriah and what it really means because a fan, as a fan, you can become very blinded or very selfish and greedy. Like, oh dude, you're a sellout, man. You went to the WWE, you're in that fake shit. No, what she's doing is she's good enough athlete to be over there for Vince McMahon. She's a good enough draw 
And she doesn't want to get hurt anymore. Even though she'll sprain an ankle or break an arm over there, she's not going to get the shit beat out of her like a UFC fighter will. So it, it puts it all into perspective for me of like what you did. The selfish part of me wants you to come back and fight him and show the world like here's the true lightweight champ like here's the guy that's a lighter fighter that's the best in the world because i truly think that you are and 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 it just dry it, the selfish side of me is like dude dana get him in there and put that fight together put the fight yeah. together you got a big enough following dude to have a great fan base still it's not over until you know I'm not saying like until the fat lady sings, you've already walked away and said you're retired, but I just wish that that fight would go down with the full camp, but we can, we can get off of that. I, I, I just think that, that part of you wakes up in the morning. Sometimes I assume this, that you won't, you roll over to your wife and you go, Abby, I'm going, I'm getting it. I'm doing it. I'm getting a fight. I'm fighting one more time. It, but cause you know, most fighters, most fighters, Chad, historically have not been able from Carwin to Hendo to Kutzer, you name Uriah, you're one of your best friends in the game. It, I think you even said he's your best friend in, in, in fighting that he was your mentor and he was your coach and he was the, the guy that kind of discovered you. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, oh yeah. I mean, even him, even he couldn't stay away from it. Uh-huh. I think that's the type of guys and, and here's, I mean, I know some of those other guys hunt, but so my pat, I have a, a very strong passion and I've had this passion that coincided with, with being an athlete my whole life. So wrestling, hunting and fishing, fighting, hunting and fishing. <laughs> so for me, being able to make a great living doing the outdoor stuff, working as an influencer for a lot of these outdoor companies um, starting fins and feathers, being able to travel all over the place and hunt with guys and girls that a have never hunted before and can look up to me in that aspect to where I'm like an instructor, I guess would kind of be the same thing as me teaching fighting technique and stuff like that. Um, that is kind of filled up that, that void of the fighting, you know what I mean? Like filled that passion. So for me, being able to do all that stuff and stay active doing all the outdoor stuff, I think has, has really like taken place to that. I don't, I mean, I haven't woke up one time yet and thought, man, I'm getting back in there. Dude, I, I know, I, Chad Mendez, I know exactly what you're saying. And you tell me if, if, if this is another way of saying it, I honestly went through periods in my life to where I felt incomplete. Like you said, you attained your goals. I was a goal-oriented dude, man. I had a major chest surgery in 1992. They took 49 inches of ribs out of my body. They cut me across my chest, right below my tit, right below my tits. I say it all the time. Like I have a little, I have man tits, kind of. I talked to my trainer on this podcast about it, and I'm very transparent because when you look at me, nobody can t knows that I have a scar underneath my nipples that goes all the way across my chest. Okay, so they take 49 inches of my ribs out. They take my xiphoid process out. They break my sternum in half and put it all back together and they wire me all back up. Okay. So I went into my college athletic career of like broken, like this was right going into my senior year of baseball and in, in, in high school. And I, st I still had goals to make it right. So when I didn't make the majors or minor league baller become a professional athlete, I felt incomplete. But now because of my passion for ducks and getting this 
I always tell somebody this. I always try to tell them that, dude, this is the most complete, rewarding life you can live. And here's why. Not only do you get to be around great people, not only do you get to see Mother Nature at her finest, not only do you get to visit the best places on earth, the flooded timber of Arkansas or the mountains of Montana or Utah where you killed your awesome sheep, mule deer hunting, whatever it is, fishing on the Sacramento River, there's nothing prettier. So what I tell people is, yes, the passion for this lifestyle and the humility of this, being so humbled by this lifestyle, dude, I am a freaking world-class athlete. I get to hang with Chad Money Mendez, who has been a champion in the Octagon and in NCAA and Uriah Faber. You know why? Because of the common denominator of this lifestyle of living off the land and what you promote killing and eating your bounty. And we do not say sorry or make apologies or excuses for that. So when people say, man, don't you wish you would have been a professional athlete? Yeah, it would have been cool. But look at this. I get to hang with George Brett, who was my idol growing up in baseball. I got a good friend in Chad Mendez, who was a stud to watch. And this life is that fulfilling because of a mallard duck. These doors have opened up of being able to be around all of these badass athletes and then country singers. Me and you've been backstage at Zach Brown and he, and, and it was so funny to see Zach Brown who sells out Fenway park three nights in a row, 45,000 people a night. He's standing there talking to people. And as soon as money Mendez, I'm painting this picture for the listeners. As soon as you and Abby walk up, he stops everything he's doing and walks over to you and goes, dude, big fan shakes your hand. You didn't even yeah, say, cool. you didn't even have to go Zach, big fan. I love your music, which I know you do but yeah. he's like big fan so even that lifestyle being a musician they look up to athletes you look up to musicians i have this ability to go dude i never made it to the majors but i'm in george brett's backyard cooking with him and i'm in money yeah. mendez's I'm, I'm podcasting and fishing and hunting with money mendez and uriah and hendo next week chuck liddell's coming on the podcast randy couture's coming on the podcast i'm like Dude, the Iceman in 2005, I'd do anything to get a pay-per-view with the Iceman on. And now because of hunting, I get to talk with Ch Chuck Liddell. I get to talk with Chad Mendez. I mean, I think that's what you're saying is that this lifestyle of being an American hunter is freaking different. I'm telling you, it's different. It's just, it's more fulfilling than any other thing that there can be. No, you said it, man. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And I, you know, I, I just like so many people ask me exactly what you said. Like, do you just ever wake up just feeling like, God, I got to get in there one more time. And I don't know, maybe that will happen eventually, but I mean, I have not felt that I do miss some things. And I just told Abby, I do miss being in like peak shape. I do miss like the, the, the point of like stepping away after a full training camp and just being like, Holy shit, I'm in good shape right now. I feel good you know, getting there sucks like every day, three times a day, some, you know, whatever it is, killing yourself, waking up in the morning, just sore from head to toe and having to go into a cold ass gym and rolling around with a bunch of dudes while it's freezing on the mats. And like, I don't miss that shit, but, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the tip top shape, like having goals, setting those as far as like an athlete and training goes. Um, I do miss that stuff, but that's all transitioned into what I'm doing now. And I, I, I've taken a lot of the things I've learned over the years of, you know, from training for a sport, you know, trying to be the best that I can be in my division or whatever it is that I'm doing. And I've translated that into the outdoor world, trying to grow fins and feathers, you know, creating the content, traveling all over, trying to do, you know, really cool hunting and fishing trips and, and being able to 
help market these brands and be a part of their team, you know, from day one. So for me, this is, I absolutely love this. And I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm a, I'm retired from the fight game, but I'm just like living my dream, man. This, it really is something I've really hoped and, and, you know, tried to get there my entire life. And now I'm finally here, you know, I have a beautiful family, I have a beautiful home, you know, I'm, I'm working, like I said, with a bunch of cool companies, have some cool buddies like you doing all these podcasts and stuff like that. It's, it's awesome, man. This is, I wouldn't trade this for anything. Speaking of buddies doing podcasts, and I appreciate you saying, talking about ours and you coming on to ours. Obviously I love having you as a guest. Um, you, you recently just went up to Montana and got to be a guest on Steven Rinella's meat eater podcast. Is he a real person? Is it a, a mystique or is it like a fake character, the Steven Rinella meat eater guy? Because it's almost like I've never seen him in public. Like he's in Reno at the Safari Club and I'm there and I'm like, I don't see Steven or I'm at SHOT Show and Steven's there and I don't run into Steven, but I run into everybody else. And <laughs> and then you hear, you know, the meat eater and it's on Netflix, but is it really real? You know, like I have this weird mystique about Steven Rinella. Uh -huh. Like I've, I've pretty much have met everybody in the outdoor industry and I've never seen him in real life. So one, was he there and was he there a real person there sitting in the chair or is it like a mannequin that they just run this voice box for? What kind of guy is he? What kind of experience was it? I know that when they, when they promoted it on the meat eater Instagram, they said the three chads in the, uh -huh. I don't know if you saw that in the caption, but I, 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 I assume that was about our cookbook with you yep. and I and Ward that we'll talk about in a minute. But what what kind of experience was that? Is he a cool dude? Would you do it again? Yeah, man, I had a lot of fun. So it was Bozeman, which I'd never been there. Super cool little town. Like would be fun to take the wife and just go hang out for like a weekend or something. Um, pretty hipster, but there's like tons of restaurants. And I walked across the street. Um, I got there that night and checked in my hotel, walked across the street and there was a restaurant that had all kinds of bison stuff. And uh, this was right before I did that bison hunt. So I was like, man, I got to try all this stuff. So super cool restaurant. Um, next day went in there and it was Cal, um, Steven and Giannis. Um, and we sat down and had a freaking awesome podcast, man. I, uh, I, from what I know from doing the podcast, obviously I've never hung out with any of those guys outside of that, but everybody seems super cool. Um, definitely would love to get on a, a hunt with those guys. We talked about maybe, you know, them coming out here and going up to our pig ranch and we just doing like a wild boar hunt or something. But, um, man, it, it was definitely Steven Rinella. It wasn't a mannequin and, uh, he seemed like a cool dude. Dude, they, they, they got it going on, man. Yeah. Like that's one guy when people look at our, our, what we have going on, they're like, man, you guys got it going on. And then I look at Steven and I'm like, man, you got it going on, dude, from, yeah. from being so well written and well read and well versed and clean cut and messaging the right way and authors and books and, and then the Rogan podcast and his appearances on there that absolutely helped blow him up. And then getting, you know, getting his company purchased or whatever just happened, you know, with the owners of Barstool Sports. I've, I've, I, I know some, a little bit about it, but the, their social media, their following, their live appearances, their podcasts, their brands. I mean, you think about it, they're, they're, they're doing it. They're just freaking doing it. And, and the thing about it is that none of it's like really out of like, so, so like, 
animated or you see like a graphic and you see all the design that a lot of people put in their stuff. It's just the picture of Steve Ranello with a chainsaw with a shitty boat in there and people go nuts for it. Like, this is my boat and this is what I fish out. And I'm like, yeah, right, dude. You probably got like a 2020 Ranger with dual, you know, (laughs) dual 90s on it. And no, but really that's what kind of guys they are. They just like being in the back 40 and doing their own thing and, and they're doing it. So kudos to them. They just, to get the accolades that he's gotten from Rogan on that level, the dude is doing some shit right oh yeah i absolutely love their tribe i mean before i even you know stepped into the outdoor industry still wrestling fighting like the mediator show was something i loved watching like it and i still love watching it um it's it's kind of a show that i look up to it's something that i want to represent in this industry you know and there's there's a lot of people i think doing the influencer stuff for the wrong reasons and i don't ever want to be categorized into that type of you know class like i love to hunt i love cooking the wild game that i harvest you know for me being someone that's cut weight since i was a kid you know i have some weird connection with food like you know prime example and i was i talked about this before like the 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 week of a fight like when i'm the most sucked up starved like cutting weight i got the last you know, five pounds of the 20 pounds I have to cut. And I'm in my hotel between doing media stuff and I'm just watching the food channel and like watching them prepare all these really good, delicious looking meals. And I'm just like taking notes, like, oh, I'm making that whenever I can eat again, you know? And my wife's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, why the hell are you doing this to yourself? But I don't know, man. I don't know if it's, A, my dad cooked as a kid or growing up. My dad was the guy, you know, was in the kitchen. He was cooking everything for us. And I used to love watching him make stuff. And like, I learned so much from watching my dad in the kitchen and then, you know, watching the meat eater show and like seeing the different things that they do with all the wild game stuff. Um, I have a few buddies in the industry that are amazing wild game cooks, picking their brains and like seeing the stuff they make. And, um, you know, it's just something I, it's like a huge passion of mine. So being able to mix the two like cooking and hunting. I I love getting out, chasing the wild game, being in nature, being in the outdoors. Um, so that's a a prime, you know, just like a primal intense feeling that you can have. And then now once you harvest that animal, I can make some amazing ass food and and I can share with that with my family. I can share that with my friends, you know, bring people together. You're a provider, dude. You're a provider. I freaking love it, dude. That's like, I live for that. I absolutely love it. So on, on, on that level, um, you have Netflix. Have you ran across the show? And I, I said this on my last podcast, cause I've been talking about being a provider all day on some shows and, um, I don't care if people get tired of me because John Favreau, have you saw his show? Have you seen his show on Netflix yet called the chef show? Uh-uh. Oh, dude. Remember John Favreau was, there was swingers. He was in the movie, the breakup with Vince Vaughn. He's Vince Vaughn's best uh, friend. Yeah. He was in the movie made. And then he directed Iron uh, Man. He directed Iron Man. That's uh-oh. what, I, but anyway, he's worth, he's, I don't even know how much money he's made in Hollywood, but a ton. like, I don't know how many years ago, five to 10 years ago, he made a, a movie called the chef and it's a, he's a high end chef at a real ritzy restaurant and the owner treats him like shit and talks down to him. So he quits, gets down on his luck, moves to Miami, 
meets a, a Cuba, a girl from Cuba, buys a food truck and they start serving Cubana sandwiches, right? Finds his love and passion in this little tiny food truck in the ghettos and the boroughs of Miami, just killing it, making these sandwiches. And he just falls in love with food again, like what you're talking about. So I've been doing this intermittent fasting thing for the last five to six months where I don't eat one calorie after 8 p.m. And then I wake up and I can't eat one calorie or drink one calorie before noon. So I've been like destroying myself at night because I'm watching this chef show, starving my ass uh, off. And this is where I'm going with you because you're cutting weight and you can't eat, but you're putting yourself through hell watching these shows. So, yeah. dude, you got to watch the chef show. And wa- he, he cooks with this Korean chef named Choi that's like, that owns like three or four really successful restaurants, Mendez. And they kill it for inspiration on recipes, man. I'm like, dude, nice. I'm doing that with a duck. I'm doing that stroganoff with some moose. I'm doing this with the deer. and But they're not doing a lot of wild game. They do a lot of fish. They they do, they do oysters. They go shuck oysters up in Oregon. But anyway, I know exactly what you're meaning, dude. It's like that whole lifestyle of, of full circle sustainability of what Renella does with meat eater and what we try to do and showing like, dude, the number one thing that you hear about people in my world and duck hunting is like, Oh, you can't eat those. They suck. And I'm like, what dude, I'll take a speckle belly duck or a mallard or a speckle belly goose or a mallard duck. And I will It'll, you'll, you'll think you're eating filet mignon. I promise you. Yeah. And it's so uh-huh. it always gets a bad rap because people overcook it. They liverize it. They just, they turn it into something it's not supposed to be. So I'm not on a mission or a soapbox when we're trying to show people recipes. I'm simply showing them that, look, I grew up as a gatherer. I, my dad had me in the mountains. I, 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 I could tell you stories when I was 13 months old, it, catching fish with my mom and dad and, and going on deer hunting tricks and trips and being in a, you know, in, in a, in a, a carrier on his back. So I grew up doing it. We grew up in the mountains. We grew up eating wild game all the time. And so I'll be damned if somebody's going to come to me online and, or a hater, like you get all the time and go, you killer. And then you got to sit there and go, well, should I yell at him? Should I educate him? Should I tell him to <laughs> shut up? Whatever. Right. My oh, point yeah. is, is that if people get enthralled in that lifestyle of what you're explaining, dude, you could, your fight career becomes secondary because every day you wake up, you're absolutely living it, man. You are taking something and turning it into something for somebody else. It's like being a farmer. It comes full circle. They feed us, they feed the animals, they feed their family. And then the next thing you know, that deer gets killed on the land and then you're eating that deer. It's, it's an amazing story. And, and, and level of life that Renella and the, and now Rogan's in on it, which you need to be on that podcast. I don't know why Joe has, I talked to Hendo about that too. I'm like, dude, you gotta, you gotta go on Rogan too. But that now Rogan's in on it saying, I eat elk, I shoot elk, which we're going to get into this archery deal in a second. Cause I do have to rip your ass publicly <laughs> over our texting conversation last week. But you know what I mean? It's just the coolest lifestyle there is dude. And Renella does it in a really different way a really different way that that it, it's for a lot of people because it's reachable it's attainable it's inform it's informative which i think is key there's a lot of people that in our industry that are you know they have a big presence in the industry but they and i think there a lot of people are getting better at it but there was a lot of people that didn't inform it was kill smile take a photo that's it and it's like okay well what are you doing with that in the beginning when i first started like posting anything hunting like it was mind-blowing how many people would say i sure hope you didn't just take a picture at that and leave it it's like no. uh, like how like obviously you just don't know the lifestyle you don't understand anything about hunting like i don't just go out and shoot a deer 
pose with it and then walk off. Like A, that's illegal. And B, that's not why I'm doing this. <laughs> like the point is to fill my freezer with, with amazing meat. So I don't have to go to the store and stand in line and buy it. Like I can just go out in my freezer and grab whatever the hell I want, you know? And so I think there's a lot of people that just, you know, they, they weren't really informing the process, you know, people were, they just didn't understand hunting. And I think guys like Rogan, guys like Cam Haynes, um, I feel like I'm trying to do that as much as I can. Ranella, like all these guys, it, it's getting a lot better at, you know, informing the people that don't know, you know, there's a ton of people that are so disconnected from their food, like the lifestyle that people live nowadays, a lot of people hunting is, is not the norm anymore. Like we've, we've gotten to where we are because of hunting and it's weird now if you're a hunter like for you kill something is strange i agree it's like it's but now look at it in today's society right now i'm talking currently in our country how many messages have you seen or read or received thank god i'm a hunter man and my freezer's full don't uh, and then you get i can give some to my neighbor i'm sharing with people i'm making more than i need and and delivering it to my mom and dad i talked to chad ward yesterday he's like dude i got these axes deer whatever and he goes i'm cooking for my mom and dad and bringing it down to them and what a better feeling what now these people are going to come back and go Hey man, I know that uh, last week I said that you shouldn't kill stuff, but you think I could get some of that uh, elk elk meat? There's not a cooler. uh, Think about it. Right now is Mm -hmm. a prime example of why Rogan and why Cam Haynes and why Ranella and why the good voices of this industry that promote the lifestyle in the right light, like the T-Bones and the Nick Munts and the Waddells and Nugent's got a different way of doing it and Shockey's got a different way of doing it. But dude, they all love, on on my podcast with Shockey, he says, I will be damned if you could tell me that uh, the bear, the bear roast that I cook you is not a deer. He goes, I promise you, you'll think it's better. And I'm like, you eat bear? And he's like, you bet your ass I eat bear. Right there tells you like, man, this is sustaining our well-being, dude. This is what we put into our bodies. This is what we do. Today, I've eaten wild game three times already. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'll continue to do it. I eat little small portions of halibut and 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 yellowfin tuna that I got from my, my buddy in Florida and deer meat. And, and my freezer is absolutely jam-packed just from this last season. And that's, and and I see you doing it all the time and the message that you can give off and the education that you can give to somebody, that's all it is, is if you're going to be a hater and you're going to be anti, at least be an educated anti of what living off the land means. Because right now you're going to get a good understanding of what having a freezer full of wild game would mean to your family if you were an outdoorsman and a conservation and a hunter gatherer. No, I agree. And I think, I mean, I think it's important for all of us to do our part God, it's just so annoying at times to try to inform these people that leave the most ridiculous comments or are completely just irate and just off the rocker. Like, but I think our job is to try to inform. Now I can, I can sit there and maybe I inform someone that's left a bad comment on a post. And if they still don't want to listen or still just start saying stupid stuff, so be it. I'm probably never going to change your mind, but yeah, exactly. At least if you're going to hate, inform yourself before you say something stupid. Like I sure hope you didn't just kill that animal and take a picture and leave it. Like it's illegal. Can't do that. You know, or I I don't even, I get so many weird things, but it's almost like what you got to pick your poison. You got to pick your battles. Like, do I want to spend my time? I'm all about predator management. 
but I will be the first one in the world. If somebody says the words to me, F a coyote, if I'm out in, in society and I hear even a hunter go, F a coyote, I kill everyone I see, they're pieces of shit. I go, no, don't ever disrespect a coyote because that dude will out hunt you and eat your ass if you ain't freaking careful. You understand? <laughs> I guess that wasn't the right words to use. That didn't sound good. But he will, a coyote is a badass animal that deserves our respect. Okay. We've built in to his land all over LA. The LA mountain ranges were full of coyotes forever. And now you're going to bitch because one gets in Disneyland. No, yeah. you built your houses in his home. Of course, he's not going to just leave. So there is a such thing as predator management. I got the utmost respect for bobcats and cougars and birds of prey and coyotes and lynxes and everything, right? My brother puts a picture up of his nephew, of his son, my nephew. He's six at the time or seven. Gets his first coyote with a 22-250 on film. 87-yard shot and just smokes this coyote. The, the comment from the hater, congratulations on raising the next generation of school shooters. And I go... Oh my God. Like that, that can't be a human being that wrote that. There's nobody in their right mind that would ever type that out. That, that had to be generated off of just some weird website, right? Sure enough, man, these people think like, have you been watching the show about your family, the tiger King? Have you watched any episodes of that? It's about your family, right? Yeah, whatever, dude. We've watched a few. And honestly, that shit is so weird. That is what we got to understand, Mendez, is that there's really people like that out there. And I they're going to hate on what we do. These comments. Yes. That was that girl. Oh, that yeah. was that girl that fed her husband to the tigers that killed her husband in that yeah. show. That's her leaving those comments. It's got to be. <laughs> it's gotta be uh, Carol Baskins. Yes, that's how you can't believe you remember her name, dude. That chick is crazier than a shit house rat, dude. Oh, yeah. oh my god, she's crazy. So anyway, so going along with this theme, give me in a nutshell what it is you offer with the logo on your hat and my hat. Is that what is that a fins and feathers shirt? Fins and feathers. It is. Oh yeah, wait, you just one. lean back, dude. Where I don't have this one yet. That's a sick looking shirt. You don't. Yeah, this is, a, I don't think we're even making these anymore, but we did these last year. We have uh, two long sleeves. It's this one and then one that says hunt, fish, eat, repeat. And I like that. Dude, you need to do that shirt right there with a big mallard or a big speckle belly back flapping. We don't have any duck stuff or any waterfowl stuff. We, we I, got ton, I got tons of photos you guys could take it off of. Nice. Right, so maybe we'll have to do that. that we I, own. I think this year we need to get some waterfowl stuff. Well, heck yeah. But, um, I mean, there, there's duck hunters are the best duck hunters in the world, hands down. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go into fins and feathers, I want everybody to understand one thing of my stance on something. I am a pretty opinionated person, I guess. He is, yes. There are comes. certain animals in this world. Okay. And I go. would say this to Fred Eichler. And I love Fred. I would do any, I love that dude. He is a legend. I'd say this to Fred Bear. I'd say it to anybody. Michael Waddell, Nick Munt, all of you turkey hunters out there chasing these thunder chickens, right? There are animals, a goose, a duck, and a turkey that are meant to be killed with a shotgun and not a bow and arrow. Now, let me finish. I don't care how good of Archer, the guy, you know, the, the guy that used to do all those trick shots on our network, Chris, whatever. He used to shoot, try to shoot geese out of the air and he'd hit a wing, wounded, he'd shoot behind him, wounded, whatever. Turkeys come in, they got 
little bit of vitals, right? There's a lot of air on a turkey to where you can shoot through feathers. You shoot, there's a, there, the, a shotgun is meant to flop a turkey into his grave, not a bow and arrow and not a, a, an arrow going through his head or trying to cut off. Now I know there's guys out there that are going to argue, but theoretically down deep in your soul as an archer that shoots at a deer and a, and an antelope and a sheep with those, you know, vitals in a bigger range, a bigger kill zone. You know, down deep in your soul, Chad Mendez, that you should not be hunting turkeys with a bow and arrow, period. Thank you very much for listening to this public service oh. announcement. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I get text messages every time I post a picture of me with a turkey that I killed my bow. I get a message from Chad chewing my ass for like 10 text messages in a row. And it, here's, I, the, I truly here's my feel thought. This way. Here's my thought on it. I mean, yeah, I love archery hunting. I'm, I'm not against flopping one with the shotgun, but you have to realize I live in California, like finding property a to hunt on or lease is like gold because it never comes around. Second, most of the time, those people that actually have the property that barely let you get on it to hunt, you say shotgun and they're like, no guns. I'm anti-gun. Nope, not happening. And so as soon as I say, what if it's archery only? It changes the whole attitude, but trust me, if I'm not against flopping them with the shotgun, but what about air gun? Have you, have you ever sniped a, um, a Turkey with an air gun? I don't like believe some it. Of these really high end, I'm not saying you can't, like, but those are made for squirrels. <laughs> I'm I just, like look, I, you can use, you can use every excuse in the book, but Skidmark, those properties he hunts are shotgun too. And he chooses to go out there and goes, Oh, my hero, my mentor, Chad Money Mendez shoots him with the bow. So I'm gonna go shoot him with the bow. And I'm like, no, you get a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge with some TSS and you roll that thing. You roll well, what it. About, what about this? What if as soon as you fire that gun off, those turkeys are onto the neighbor's property and never coming back. That, on that is property the again. biggest bunch of bullshit, man. It's, you know how many times I've killed a gobbler and the other nine gobblers and seven Jake sit there and wrestle with them. Like it's Andre, the giant on King Kong Bundy. I'm talking to you, dude, they just don't even leave. They don't even leave. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> they sit there strutting like this and they're like, Hey, wake up, Charlie, wake up, dude. I'm Watch telling the you, they beat the crap out of it. They beat the, they, like, because they, the, because they, because the turkeys got, they have some pride, dude. They're not like a snow goose. They have pride. When they see somebody go down, it's like you go, get up, man, get up, quit being a pansy, get up, let's go. I'm just telling you, I'm trying, I just text Michael Waddell and I ask him to FaceTime me real quick. He's always, that's the busiest dude in the world. Oh, he might've just called me and I was freaking on FaceTime. Ah, Damn it. Let me see if I can get him. Hold on. I'm gonna try it. I just want him to. I want him to to settle the argument. I did kill one of my three toms last year with a shotgun. You should so. kill them all with a shotgun. That's Waddell. I'm trying. I'm trying to get him to Facetime. I don't know if he's in bad service. He's on a different level of busy, though, man. That dude is so sought after. The man, the myth, the legend. Have you listened to a podcast here you do with me? I haven't. Oh, uh, dude, you got to listen to it. It's so awesome. He didn't. Let's see if he calls me back. We'll see. I'm so bad at podcasts. Like everyone's always like, you got to listen to this one. Did you listen to the like, one you did with Meat Eater? I, I haven't even listened to it. Really? Have you listened to it? Which, oh, when she was how'd that night stuff, go after she heard that? Was Did you sleep on the couch? She said, she said I cuss a lot. She did? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Abby doesn't cuss. So if you notice, I'm trying not to cuss as much in this podcast. You know, the quarantine yeah. is really, I was thinking of Abby and I love her. And you know why I love her? Because she's such a sweet fun haver. And the reason that she's a fun haver is because like when she has fun, and I don't think like if she went out on a date right now, you know, with you, it was a, you know, a date night to where you got the, the in-laws or somebody watched the kids, your mom and dad, her mom and dad, she's a fun haver. The night we were at Zach Brown and she danced <laughs> like this girl dances, right? Like uh-huh. that's what I miss. The quarantine makes me miss. It, it, it shows us how blessed we are for experiences like that. Right. Oh man. It sucks. I mean, it's I think there's a lot of good that's going to come out of this. So hopefully, I. I agree. A, A, what we just talked about, like realize, like opening a lot of people's eyes that don't hunt and that have hated on hunters for their entire lives. Now they're going to hopefully step back and say, holy shit, maybe I should take this up. Maybe I need to figure out how to grow a garden. Maybe I need to learn how to go out and hunt, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, hopefully, maybe they're going to back off a little bit. And then also making everybody realize, you know, all the awesome things that they have in their life that we take for granted on the daily, which I am so guilty of that. You know, I get so buried in my work and go in the office and just sometimes stay there all freaking day. And I hear my wife and my baby out there laughing and having fun. I'm just like, yeah, you know, but I miss all this stuff hanging out. We're definitely going to some concerts after this. We're going to, we're going to drink some beers. Hopefully Traeger has not a launch party that they can, postponed till then that sucks that this one got canceled but god those are so much fun everything this lifestyle i'm telling you the the nwtf we thankfully got to do it in february shot show we got to do so much fun times nra has been canceled so many you know ata you go to ata it would have been canceled all of those shows would have been canceled it would have been done and and you think about like everything that we get to do it's like i literally have to shake myself when i walk by my one of my tables in my office or in my house or wherever i'm at and i look at it and i'm like really this is happening right now because of a duck this is mm-hmm. happening right now because of our passion for hunting that I, mm-hmm. I i look i look down i go dude i get to do this today like this is unbelievable cool. And then when all of that stuff is gone and I look at my March and my April and I just continuously started crossing things off like Nashville, I was doing a big little rock concert with Zach Brown. We were cooking with Traeger. Tyler was coming out. Chad Ward was coming up. A big partner of ours, bad boy mowers was coming down and banded was going to be there. Canceled everything. And it's just like, dang it, man. Dang it. We had to uh, cancel our first two fins and feathers trips. We had our big Texas helicopter pig hunt. We had 10 guys on that one. And then our Florida Gator trip, I think we had eight guys on that one. So it's definitely crushing us. That was a uh, March and April. They're talking about, and what I've heard is it going into June, which our big tuna trip is at the end of June. And we have 30 guys on that. I'm hoping, dude, I'm praying that that doesn't get canceled too. Like that's going to screw us big time. But Yeah, and the question uh, is, is how much confidence are we going to have coming out of it to go into groups again and be around a bunch of people? It's going to take I mean, a while. I was just talking about that with a buddy the other day on the phone, like, all we're doing is prolonging. This is my theory on it. We're prolonging this. Like, and I think that was a good thing. Like the quarantine, it's slowing down the amount of people that are going to rush into the hospital. But if we, I mean, hopefully we can come up with the vaccine or something, but it's say, say June 1st, they're like, all right, everybody can go back to being normal. There's still going to be people that have it at that point. So everyone gets back into groups with them. And now it's a huge outbreak again. So it's not like it's just going to completely all go away. We're going to come out from under a rock and go, we're safe now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, not going to happen. All we're doing is prolonging it. I, I don't know. 
So hopefully we can just come up with the damn vaccine that we can start helping the people that need it. I mean, in all honesty, I feel like I might have had it already. Me, my business partner, and my good buddy. I remember when you were sick. Yeah, from the Utah show, Sunday. That night started getting a cough. Or sorry, Saturday night started getting a cough. Sunday woke up, body aches, fever, chills. That lasted like five days off and on, off and on. That was February. That was like February 15th. Yeah, it was, it was bad, dude. So, I mean, you know how many hands and how many hands I shake and how many people I freaking put my arm around to take photos and just sitting at the booth for shit. What is it? Nine, 10 hours a day or four days straight. Like there's a good chance. I mean, I guess it could have been the flu, but lots of people have told me, dude, coming out of shot show and NWTF, a lot of mm-hmm. people got the symptoms, man. Lots of yeah. people got sick in the, that January to mid-February time range when they said, yep. you know, when Trump canceled travel over from China for over to here, yeah. it was that uh-huh. it was a lot of people could have had it. I mean, yeah. a lot of people could have. I think it's been around a little bit longer than we thought. Like, I think there was people that were getting it and we just didn't know about it or it wasn't in the limelight as much as it was. But I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm ready for all this shit to go back to normal. Hopefully, I hope it does. It's going to be a new normal. It's going to be more people are going to yeah. be hygienically correct. We're going to wash our hands more. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to think about others more. We're going to get down to the little things in life and focus and pump the brakes a little bit more and understand that the big picture of business and, and profit isn't always in, the most important thing. It's about slowdown and freaking doing these things we're doing at our house now, man. I'm, I'm learning to cook better. I'm thinking outside the box more. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm learning to be more creative with my, I mean, I'm, I'm literally not leaving my house, dude. I don't, I canceled my Turkey hunt the last two weeks in California. I canceled all my Turkey West back South and in the Midwest. I'm not going anywhere. Even though I could go to California and get in the Turkey woods, I'm not doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to abide by our leaders and trust them and our doctors and scientists and say, you know what, let's get through this and make it better in the long run. So Knowing that we are learning more, teach somebody right now what they can expect by booking a trip with Fins and Feathers. What is it? And then how's Guida's deal doing? It got off to a good start. The the gills and thrills with Guida. Talk to me about what the, the in a synopsis, in a nutshell, what these services are offering. So Fins and Feathers, we started this back in 2015, me and a good buddy of mine, Mike Papa. And uh, basically what it is, is we put together a full year long schedule. So so say our 2020 schedule is launched in 2000, like December of 2019, we'll launch it. And that's our 2020 schedule. So that goes up on our website under schedule and pricing tab. People can go on there and then you just scroll through. It's going to be a list of all kinds of different species of hunting trips all over the United States. Sometimes, you know, all over the world, we've gone to New Zealand for red stag and all that type of stuff. Um, we go into Mexico for fishing. Um, so we do a bunch of different things. So they'll have a a specific schedule set of the species, the location, the date, and then possible celebrities that are going to be joining you. And when I say possible, the reason why we do that is say, I say Uriah Faber is going to go on a a Utah mule deer hunt on this date. But when he was fighting, if a fight popped up, you know, because the fight game is so all over the place, it's hard to really lock things down that far in advance. So we, we give a list of like two or three guys that if, if, this person, the number one person that's on the list can't go, that person below it will. If that person can't, the person below that. So there's a list of possible guys. It's going to be one of these guys. Um, some of the trips we send multiple, like the San Diego tuna fishing trip, It's we usually put three uh, celebrities on there. Usually it's like Dan Henderson's going, me and Clay Guida. We've had me, Faber, and uh, Guida. We've done um, just a mix of different guys. So, you know, 
And so what we do is we book clients on these trips. We'll put together like a small group and then we send the celebrities on them with, with the clients. They can, they'll hunt with you in camp. They'll fish with you wherever. Um, if you guys want to drink some beers, still tell stories around the campfire, just kind of make it a, a unique experience where you get to not only get to go on a really cool hunt or fishing trip that you would probably do anyways. Cause I, I go on all these trips before we make them a fins and feathers trip and make sure these are all badass trips. Right. So I can, I can attest that these are going to be fun, but now you get to do it with some of these guys that you watch play a sport on TV or, you know, we have guys that are actors, someone you watch on, on a show on TV or whatever it is. And, and now you get to, you know, build that camaraderie with somebody that you never thought that you'd be able to hang out with. You know, you're going to go spend five days in a camp with them or three days on a boat fishing or whatever it is, you know? And so that's what fins and feathers is. And then, uh, this last year we added gills and thrills with Guida. So he's kind of taken over, uh, more of the fishing and entertainment side of fins and feathers. Um, unfortunately with everything that's going on, a lot of those trips in the beginning of this year have now been canceled because basically what it is, is he takes you fishing and then there's some type of entertainment that's paired with it. So whether that be a big UFC fight or, um, a big concert or something like that. So he'll take you out fishing all day, one day, then the next day he gets you in backstage passes to Zach Brown or whoever it is where you get to do a meet and greet, get to watch the concert, you know? um, in badass seats or even on the stage or whatever. Um, but obviously because of all this, we can't do any of that. So the gills and thrills part is definitely, I think hurting a little bit more than what, you know, hopefully what this is going to be for fins and feathers, but, um, yeah, we're just motoring along, man. We get, like I said, this is all out of our hand. We just got to play the the hand that we're dealt and keep moving forward. So it'll come we'll back. What, yeah. Don't be getting all fire. Don't, Dude, don't even look at me that way. You're lucky I can't come through this computer. Dude, you don't want none of this, bro. I've been, oh, look at those sweaty pits. <laughs> I've been, uh, I, w- I got some dumbbells for my strength and conditioning coach. I went down there and just grabbed a few one day. And uh, so I've, cause I, dude, I lost like 10 pounds. I had no weights. I'm just basically doing cardio because that's all I could do. I got a stationary bike or I'd just go run around in my neighborhood. And I'm like, God, I need to lift some freaking weights. So I went down there and finally got some weights and I'm, starting to lift again it feels good but yeah i've been doing this i've been doing this this push-up app man it's uh i i do it i do it three days a week my workout today is my workout today is 90 seconds to do 26 and i use good form and i don't rush them so you get 90 seconds to do 26 90 second rest 90 seconds to do 30 90 second rest 90 seconds to do 26 90 second rest 90 seconds to do 28, 90 second rest, 90 seconds to do 36, 90 second rest. So that ends up being like 140 or whatever pushups. And this is my fourth week. That's uh, week four, day two. So I did my other day on today's Thursday. So I did it on Monday. I try to spread it out a little bit. So I'll do it today and then Sunday. And it, it kicks your ass, gets your heart rate up there, makes your chest pop. Um, but I'm mixing it in with some dumbbells. I'm doing box squats on a gator cooler. I'm doing I'm doing tailgate jumps. I'm trying to do a ton of stuff to stay active. Yesterday, two neighbors drove by and stopped and honked. I had my nine year old daughter in my in my driveway doing jumping jacks, four sets of fifty jumping jacks, and then we'd lay down, get on our back, and do extended crunchies. And I got her, you know, just doing some PE and physical ed stuff. Just you know, you got to. It's so hard. It's so hard right now to stay in a routine. It it's is. So hard, it really man. is, man. So I've been doing it before I got those weights. I was just doing all body weight stuff too, just tons of push ups, sit ups, air squat, like 
all that type of stuff. But so what I've been doing with I'm basically I, the heaviest weight I have are 45 dumbbells and it goes 45s, 35s, 20s and 10s. And so I've been doing, so shoulders was today. And what I did was, um, a hundred presses with the 45s and I'd break that up into like anywhere from 15 to 20 each set. And then I'd rest and then do, um, sitting down or standing, uh, sitting down. So I would just sit on my Pelican cooler and I would gator cooler. He meant to say <laughs> so I did gator. hundred presses with 45s. Then I did a Dude, gator would eat a Pelican. No, go ahead. Know, whatever. You do a hundred what? <laughs> Pelican would fly off, bro. <laughs> but I did 50 um, um, lateral raises, 50 front raises. I did uh, 100 bent over um, um, extensions. Or God, like, dude, that's like, heavy weight. Like I could see the 45 to 100 pound dumbbells on a on a, like an incline bench press for your chest. But yeah. overhead, that seems heavy for me, man. 45 pounds is a that's a heavy overhead press for shoulders. Well, when I'm lifting heavy, man, I can usually hit those seventies and eighties, but I'm just trying to pump he- like, like high reps out with those, the 45s. I'm just trying to get all my, my archery muscles strong. For I deer hunting, for deer hunting and your finger, yeah, exactly. and your Benelli finger I'm trigger, weight up your Benelli trigger finger for the turkey <laughs> hunting. Dude, I hope that Benelli is getting sent over. Uh, they're supposed to be getting it all. all uh, oh dude, it's going to be awesome. See, just right there, that should tell you, you know what? I should, I should freaking start shooting turkeys the right way hey let me show you let me show you what i mean i got this right here let me show you let me show you show me russ show me ventilated ventilated ported barrel oh yeah high vis sight rob robert rob roberts who's building out your gun that's the turkey choke real tree camo turkey sight from high vis see it there looking down it oh yeah pistol pistol grip nice Dude, left, that is awesome. Left-handed Molly. Left. That's laid out a lot of turkeys, dude, and it's not a bow. This thing is made for turkey hunting and coyote uh-huh. hunting. This is a coyote. What length barrel is that? 26? Yep. Right, I think I'm doing the 24. What's this? This is a 24 right here. Gotcha. That's what I'm doing then. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not because that's the pistol grip. So it goes 24 pistol grip, 26, then 28. So I'm doing the 26 non-pistol grip. This is a killer dude right here. It the looks pa- the, it looks like the it. patterning on this gun right here with the TSS Federal. Whoo. <laughs> I'm getting mine all wrapped in Kuyu, baby. I mean, how could you look at this and say, I'm gonna go get a bow and arrow and go turkey hunting? It just doesn't make <laughs> sense. Like you gotta shake yourself. Like when you're going is- when you're going to reach for that bow, there should be like a bolt that goes off like a shot collar on a dog. It should <laughs> jolt you and go, Chad, quit being a dipshit, get your gun. <laughs> Yeah, but how you feel about that gun is how I feel about my bow. No, that's impossible too. <laughs> that's impossible nope. too. Yes, <laughs> you and John Dudley and all these dudes out there going, "Hey, man, I got my stick and string." No, dude, uh, I I love it. I I love I love bow and arrow. I wish I was I was wish I was more proficient at it. All right, Chad Mendez, that was fun, brother. I appreciate everything. Tell Abby I said hello. Give the baby a kiss. I can't wait till I can come over the hill into Auburn and hang out and have a cold beer and hit the Traeger. We didn't even get into any Traeger recipes, which we will. Guys, Chad Mendez, Fins and Feathers. What is the exact website? Uh, www.finsandfeathers.com. With Z's, right? Yep, everything Fins is with the Z and Feathers is with the Z. Um, 
And then we have uh, our Instagram is at Fins and Feathers Guides. Go on there right now. Understand that these outfitters, these guides, they're struggling just as much as anybody through the quarantine trips being canceled. Go support their merch. Go put a deposit down on a 2021 hunt. Do something to show your love. Get their revenue going. Keep it going. Buy some hats. He's got badass shirt designs, long sleeve, short sleeve, sweatshirts. Support these guys. Support the partners and sponsors like the Fins and Feathers is to us. We truly appreciate it. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. We, uh, I don't even know what to say. The provider mentality, it's out there. Be looking. We'll talk about this on our next podcast too. Chad Mendez, Chad Ward, Chad Belding. We have the Provider Series cookbook coming out, workshops, and an interactive website. So be prepared for that sometime in 2020, going into 2021. We're excited as heck about it. I'll be on the phone call with you tomorrow, Chad. Thank you very much for everything, my man. Any closing words? Well, thank you guys for tuning in and thank you, man. I always appreciate you uh, helping me out with all this stuff. Anytime you can depend on us for anything. Let me know if you want some cool photos and, and uh, assets of ducks and geese for some fo- for shirts. Oh, I yeah. will let everybody know that I won the argument on the turkey archery challenge. <laughs> and let Ronella know. Text Ronella and say, dude, you got to get Belding on the Meat Eater podcast. You guys could rap a little bit about about my different views on on what he's got going on. I will. Thank you, brother. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Tom, do me a favor. Please hit that button. This is our main man, Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. This song's called What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone, written by Leith Lofton and Drake White. Peace. I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all gone Tell me now